0: Philippians chapter 1, it's so appropriate too because um, it's, the theme of this book is the joy through suffering. And uh, after last year, boy I'll tell you what some real challenges for us. And to just keep your eyes focused on the Lord is the key to success. What, what kept Peter afloat when he got out of the boat? His eyes were on Jesus. But as soon as he looked at the storms of this life, he began to sink. And so many times the stuff that's happened in our life and and over this last year, we've been challenged. And you can let those things take you down or you can let those things draw you near. And the more you draw near to God, knowing how He feels about you, and that was what the book of Ephesians was all about. Knowing how God sees us, knowing how He loves us, knowing how you stand with Him should give you the excitement to endure and to persevere and to run the race and to finish well no matter what. He never promised us smooth sailing here. See, a lot of times we, uh, we kind of think, I think we make a mistake when we lead people to the Lord. We'd say, you know, come to Jesus and everything's going to be awesome. And we've got to say everything's going to be awesome one day. But it's, in a sense, it is awesome because you've given your life to Jesus Christ. But I think what we fail to tell those new believers is that if you live in this world, you will have much tribulation. And Jesus told us that. Because the cross is an offense. And when you give your life to Jesus, it's like you might as well just buy one of those Target shirts. Because all of a sudden now, the enemy is directing his arrows at you because he's lost you, but he doesn't want to lose your friends. And he doesn't want you to share with your friends. And he doesn't want your friends getting saved. And so we have this constant battle in this world. And it's a crazy world, isn't it? I mean, it's like they speak evil of good and good of evil. I was reading a a report yesterday that somebody sent me. They were saying last year that 3.5 million people in the world died of COVID. Now the interesting thing is CDC just came out with a report that said that uh, they can't even determine from the tests that you take to see if you're positive or negative, if it's the flu or if it's COVID, they're not sure. And then we know of all the other stuff and the scandals and things like that. So you kind of wonder, is it probably half that amount? We don't know, but let's just give it to them. 3.5 million people. There was another pandemic last year. Over 42 and a half million people dead. It's called abortion. But there was no outrage. There was no pandemic. Abortion takes out more than 40% of the world population a year. And you know why you don't hear it's a pandemic? It's because it makes good money. We are living in the last days. We're living in a time where they speak evil of good and good of evil. And I think starting this book on the new year is so appropriate because you and I are going to have tribulation. You and I are going to have problems. You and I are going to suffer. And God said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, this is the thing that I think we make the mistake of when something goes wrong in our life we say why doesn't god love me i've got cancer why doesn't god love me i've lost my home why doesn't god love me i'm homeless why doesn't god love me we've got to stop thinking like that we live in a fallen world and this world is messed up because of sin and sin entered in and all of sin and fallen short of the glory of god the things that we go through down here should never challenge the way we feel how God feels about us his love for us is unconditional his love for us is unmeasurable you have no idea you can't even understand the depths of his love John 17 tells us that God the father loves us with the same love that he has for his son that should blow your mind that same love that allowed his son to die for our sins on the cross and the cross is an offense, and so we shouldn't be surprised when we go through tough times. And, you know, I, I think that we are smart enough now at this point to realize that when we go through tough times, we can say, you know what, I am serving Jesus. Because the more you step out of the boat, the more you, you take on for the Lord, to serve the Lord, to, to uh, read your Bible more, to pray, to share the good news, the more you seem to come under attack. Because that's how the enemy works. If he can beat you up to a place where you will pull back from serving God, pull back from reading your Bible, pull back from ministering to others, then that's what he'll do. But I encourage you that you should flip that around and say, listen, I'm getting attacked heavy. I must be doing something good for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the enemy doesn't want me to succeed, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so as we look at this book of Philippians, it's like today I, I'm just, you know what, I'm just going to give you an introduction. You might say, oh great, introduction, sounds boring. But it's really good that we lay a foundation uh, for this book before we go. And that's what I love about Paul's epistles, these letters, Paul's epi- epistle, means letter. I used to think when I first got saved, epistle meant the wives of the apostles, but it means letter. And so Paul, the neat thing about all of his letters is that you can go to the book of Acts. And you can look where these things actually took place and kind of get a foundation of what's going on. So we will read, uh, let's just read a couple of verses. We'll get into these verses next week, but a couple of things that I want to touch on and then we're going to go to Acts 16 and look at what took place when Paul and Silas were in Philippi. But in Philippians chapter 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Bondservants, does that describe you? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, that's the elders, the leaders, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this part right here, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun the good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as is it right for me to thank this of you all because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my chains and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning, Lord God. Open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if you guys read ahead. How many read ahead? Read, read the whole book of Philippians. Okay, read the whole book of Philippians. You say, well, pastor, I don't got time. It takes you 12 minutes to read the whole book of Philippians. I timed it this week. I read it over and over and over, and I timed it. You could probably do it in 8 to 10 minutes if you're a speed reader, but slow it down so you can take it all in. It takes about 12 minutes. And it's such a a rich book. There's so much in there. I mean, I look at here in verse 3 where he's saying, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. He's praying for these people always. He's thanking God for the Philippians. Do you have someone in your life that's praying for you without ceasing, that's thankful for you to God? I mean, I, I pray for you guys every day. That God's going to do an amazing thing in you. Paul loved these people. He had a unique relationship. This was really the church that supported him wherever he went. And sent offerings to see the work continue. And then verse 6 where he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he that begun the good work will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. That's good news. God is going to finish the work that He started in you. God is going to finish the work that He started in your children. Hello? Got a prodigal? That prodigal is going to return. That's why he says, train up your children in the ways of the Lord so when they're older they won't depart. They might be a prodigal, but they're going to come back. He's going to finish the good work. God completes and does what He promises. He talks to us about all kinds of things here in the Scripture. which was just mind-blowing to me. He talks about about God's grace and over and over we see joy mentioned. Joy and rejoicing. Joyful. Like 15 times. This is, this is something that he's experiencing joy while he's writing this letter from prison. He's going to die. He's going to have his head cut off. He's writing from prison and he's saying, I am so stoked for you guys. I am so excited for you guys, what God is doing in your life. Don't worry about me. He's going to tell him, hey, hey, don't worry about me. These chains, I, I'm not bummed out. I'm full of joy right now because God's working in you guys. The gospel's going out further. And plus, I'm not chained to Rome. Rome's chained to me. I'm sharing the gospel with these centurions. He's going to tell us at the end of the book that Caesar's household salutes you. What does that mean? That means these Praetorian guards, these Roman guards that were guarding part of Caesar's household were getting saved. I mean, chained to Paul for four to six hours. Can you imagine? He's got a captive audience. They were going to get the gospel. I can imagine how rough it was for them in the beginning. Oh, my gosh, you're really in for it now. He's just going to go on and on about this Jesus thing. And and then then somebody else coming in and going, well, yeah, but I got saved yesterday. It's awesome. I can't wait. He talks to us in this book about striving together for the faith of the gospel. Are we striving together for the faith of the gospel? Are, are we determined to lead people out in that community to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you satisfied with your salvation, but you don't really care about anybody else's? Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you have a burden for the lost? He said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's chapter 2, verse 5. And did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient even unto the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of uh, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue shall confess Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. He says, do all things without murmuring and complaining. Chapter 2, verse 14. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. How's that? He was just about to face death. He was being poured out. He'd finished his race. He finished well. He said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith. He says, I'm glad and I rejoice in you all. He says to us in chapter 3, verse 7 But whatsoever things gain to me, I count them lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellent knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as dung, as poop, as rubbish that I may gain Christ and and may be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is a form of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then the most amazing, one of the most amazing verses is in verse 10 there of chapter 3, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death. Wow. Wow. Can you say that we like that I may know him in the power the power of the resurrection yes I'm in and the fellowship of his suffering ooh I'm not in I want to serve Jesus don't want to suffer when you look at the life of Paul and what he suffered oh my gosh but you know what he didn't let the past weigh him down And too many of us are dragging the past from behind. We're dragging it into the future with us. We need to get rid of that. We need to drop that. We need to let go. We need to cut the past away. You can't change the past, but you can change today. He says in chapter 3, he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, forward towards those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you doing that today? He tells us in chapter four, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Are you anxious? Are you depressed? Have you been suffering? Have you been b- battling emotional things? I have an answer. I have the cure for it, for being for anxiety and depression. Guess what it is? It's worship. You know, if if. if Someone was to ask Jesus Christ to write a book on psychology. You know what he'd do? He'd say, I did. It's Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but with all things, prayer and supplications, take it to the Lord in prayer and start worshiping. Are you anxious today? Do you have anxiety? Worship. Try it. It'll work. Are you depressed? Then start worshiping. It'll work. Are you down? Everything collapsing around? Worship. Hello. It works. Trust me. Discourage? Worship. That's why worship's so important. That's why we worship before we teach. Why? Because there's, there's three principles there. As we worship and praise, it is a sacrifice of praise rising up to the King, our Lord, our Father. What Jesus did for us, we are ministering to God with our prayers and our worship. And as we minister to God through worship, then what does He do? He ministers to us through the Word of God. As it's taught. And as it's taught, it's a double-edged sword. You are learning from it. I am learning from it. As I preach it, I'm learning. And it does surgery. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts. And it comes back and it cuts me. So as we minister to the Lord, then He ministers to us by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, and then we go out and minister to the community and to one another. But if we're eor the Christian... Praise the Lord. Who wants that guy? Who would want to come to a God that that's what they think you get when you come to him? And the whole key with Paul is, listen, I'm in jail. I'm in prison. Guess what? My head's going to be cut off, but it's cool. I'm going to see Jesus. And he's full of joy and he's encouraging churches with these letters that he wrote from prison. Like Ephesians was from the prison. Colossians is from prison. This is from prison. And he's encouraging. He said, don't worry about me. I'm good. I know where I'm going. I know that he's able to keep that which he committed to me. I know that he'll never leave me or forsake me. And if I close my eyes in this world or they cut my head off, I'm going to be right in the presence of God. It's done. And we need to start looking at life like that. And stop saying, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Because in, in chapter 4, he says, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let's get a little foundation. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16 and get a little foundation of this book before we actually get into it. You know, and I want to say something. You remember when Paul, as you're turning to Acts 16, you remember when Paul... Um, got converted on the road to Damascus. And then he was blinded. They had to help him. And, and God called Ananias to go to Paul and said, go pray over him that he receive his sight. Tell him he's a vessel that I'm going to use. And, and Ananias was like, um, uh, Lord, <laughs> obviously you don't know who this guy is. He kills Christians. You want me to go where? Isn't it funny how we try to instruct God? Or we try to fill him in? Well, Lord, I know something you don't know. And here's what what the Lord said to him. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God never said it would be easy to serve him. The road to heaven is narrow and the way is hard. The road to destruction is wide, and it's easy. Why? Because Satan puts all the stuff out there right in front of you. He puts the good stuff out first. He puts that stuff that gives you fulfillment and enjoyment for a season. And he lures the world in with pleasure. And what about you? And so that road is wide that leads to destruction. And everybody's thinking, everything's great because I'm getting everything I want. It's just so wonderful. But then you just collapse. Because then the enemy pulls the life out of you through all these things. Drug addiction, drunkenness, immorality, greed, hatred. And you end up separated from God and spend eternity in hell. But here's the thing about Jesus, which is different. He didn't promise you the good stuff first. He promised you the good stuff last. Remember when he changed water to wine? And the the governor of the party said, wow, this is crazy. Everybody puts the good stuff out there first till everybody's pickled, and then they bring out the boon's farm, and nobody knows. He said, you saved the best for last. Because that's what Jesus does. He says, don't worry. I know it's going to be tough. I'm going to be with you. You're going to get through this. And through that storm, you're going to grow. I'm refining you. I'm changing you from glory to glory. And one day, guess what? You're going to have a new body. And it's all going to be over. Because the best stuff is for last. And you know what's funny? He's going to be revealing his grace to us throughout all eternity. Hello? People say, well, how, what's heaven like? Is it going to be boring? Because they think it's like, you know, little fat babies with wings and harps on a cloud. It ain't like that. Ain't tch. Guys, Hello? If you can enjoy anything here, this is junk. Compared to heaven, okay. Your best day here on earth is the worst day in heaven. Hello, he's going to be revealing his grace to us throughout eternity. That means it'll never get boring. You're going to be there for ten thousand years plus eternity. After ten thousand years, he's going to serve dinner one night. You're going to go, wow, that was new. Are you kidding me? What are we doing tomorrow, Jesus? You blew my mind yesterday. (laughs) I just and he's going to go check this out. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I can't take anymore. He loves you so greatly. But before, before we actually go verse by verse through Philippians, and we'll get back to that next time, I want to encourage you as we lay down this uh, foundation, an introduction to the book, and you find it in chapter 16, but you know, actually it starts more in chapter 15 because you guys remember when Paul went on his first missionary journey and he set up these, these churches, and then he came back and, and, and he's there with uh, Barnabas and they went out together. And he says to Barnabas, he says, Barnabas, you know what? It's been a while. Why don't we go back and check and see how the churches are doing? That's a good shepherd, right? Let's go ahead and check. let's encourage them. Let's go by and see how they're doing. And, uh, and Barnabas goes, man, that sounds great. I'll go tell John Mark. Now, if you guys remember, in the first journey, they took John Mark with them. And when the going got tough... John Mark got going. He took off, right? Remember that? When it got a little heated, he was young. He was—he was like, didn't say, we, we like to go on mission trips as long as the hotel's nice. And there's no, not going to be any problems. And we have plenty of sanitizer with us. But when it got a little tough, it was too much for John Mark. He dug out. So when Barnabas says, okay, yeah, let's go. That sounds great, Paul. Let's go on another sec- a second journey and see how the churches are doing. I'll go tell John. And John was Barnabas' nephew. So you can see the connection there. And Paul says, no way. I ain't taking that guy. He's a loser. He dug out on us last time. And they got this heated argument. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't just like, No, I really don't want to take Mark because, you know, I think it's going to be a little tough for him. And I just don't. And Barnabas was like, no, let's just do it. It'll be kind of cool. It wasn't like that. It says it was heated. They were screaming at each other. You ever seen two people in Israel fight? When there are. I'll tell you what, you could be in the marketplace and it looks like they're yelling at each other, ready to throw blows. And all of a sudden they'll say shalom and hug each other and it's a deal. It's just how they are. They're very emotional. So when they're really angry, they go off. They're very. What is it? I can't think of the word. And so these guys have this heavy argument and it separates them. And, and, and Barnabas is like, fine, I'll take John Mark. And Paul's like, fine, I'll take Silas. You remember last week when we were talking in Ephesians, we were saying, listen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. When we get in these arguments and stuff, it, it's demonic. It's not, you're not fighting the person next to you. You're not fighting your spouse. You're not fighting your friend. It's the enemy trying to get division. And maybe Paul didn't read his own letter. I don't know. Well, maybe he hadn't written it yet. But they got an argument, and it was heated. But you know that Scripture in Romans where it says, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purposes? So what looked bad, what the enemy caused to, to divide these two guys... Jesus ended up getting a double portion. Because these guys were like, they were like the dynamic duel, right? I mean, they were getting stuff done, and now split up, now God was going to get a double portion. He works all things for good. And you know what? The bottom line is, is what we're about to look at in Acts 16, I don't think Mark would have made it through. He wasn't ready. He was young. But I'll tell you what, here's the other thing. Aren't you glad for the Barnabases in your life? Aren't you glad for the Barnabases that when you screw up, when you make a a mistake, you blow it, that there's that one person that comes alongside you and says, hey, I love you. Come on, get up, get up, dust off. Let's get going for Jesus. See, and here's the neat thing, because John Mark would later hook up with Peter, write the Gospel of Mark according to what Peter was telling him. So really it was the Gospel of Peter. John Mark wrote it down. And at the end of Paul's life, he'd say, send John Mark to me, he's profitable. So whatever happened, it all worked out. Be confident this very thing that he had begun the good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we have this heated thing. So Silas and Paul take off and they're heading out. He thinks he's going to go to Asia Minor. He thinks he's going to go up north. He's he's going to go and visit these churches that he had set before. And it's interesting, they run into a kid named Timothy As they came to Durba and Lystra, now remember Lystra is where he got stoned and left for dead. (laughs) And then came back from the dead and went back into the city to preach. And so there was this kid there that had listened to him last time they were there. And his name was Timothy. He got saved last time Paul and Barnabas came through. And so he runs into this kid, Timothy. It's in the first part of chapter 16, verse 1. And and, uh, he realizes this is a kid that's half Jew, half Greek. His dad was a Greek. His mom was a Jew. You were determined to be a Jew through your mom. And so he says, listen, this guy's going to be good for me. He's going to be that John Mark that we wanted. He's going to be able to help us tremendously. And so he takes him along with him. But then you get down to uh, verse 6 there of chapter 16 of Acts. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. He's saying, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, go out and preach the gospel? Didn't Jesus say, go preach the good news to everybody? Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Isn't that what Jesus said? So wait a minute. So why would the Holy Spirit forbid them from going that direction? Doesn't make sense, does it? And then check this out. So after that, they decided they'd come to Mysia and tried to go to Bithynia, which is up north by the southern Russia, by the Black Sea. And it says the Spirit didn't permit them. I take a lot of comfort in this. Because here's the great Apostle Paul. He's like, listen, I want to go to Asia. No, you're not going. I want to go up north then. Okay, you're not going. Here's the Apostle Paul frustrated. What am I supposed to do? You ever been there? I want to go out and serve Jesus. And then every door just keeps shutting all around you. And you're like, "What? I just want to serve God. And I take comfort that the great apostle Paul wasn't sure what was going on. Because half the time, I don't know what's going on. All I know is he wants me to get in the zone. Get in the zone. Then I'll show you. Right? And so he, you know, he shuts him down. How did he shut him down? How did the spirit stop him? We don't know. I mean, did the, did the wheel break on their cart? Did the camels drop dead? Did the road wash out? I mean, that's the kind of stuff how God works in my life, right? I'm heading off to do godly stuff. I'm going to go meet somebody in Hui. flat tire. Car breaks down. Lord, I am just trying to get to Luhui. I got this person I got to pour into. And you know what? You know what it is? Check it out. You're not the guy to pour into him. Paul, you're not going to Asia. I didn't call you there. Paul, you're not going to Bithynia. I didn't call you there. Paul, I need you to get a grip so I can get you to this place called Philippi. Do you have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? See, you may be wanting to do good things, godly things, and, and you're trying to move in a direction, but has God called you in that direction, or did He call somebody else? Do you have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit saying? The Holy Spirit was saying, listen, you can't go to Asia. Why not? You can't. You can't go to Bithynia. You can't go up north. And then check out what happens. So passing through Mysia, he came down to Troas and a vision appeared unto Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So he got a vision. What's a vision? A vision is not a dream. He got a vision at night. He wasn't dreaming. God speaks to us through dreams and visions. A vision is like having a dream, but you're wide awake. You're seeing something. He got a vision. As soon as he got to the vision, he said to the guys, that's it. I got we got instructions. We're going to Europe. That's Macedonia. So you got Israel here. Okay, I'm doing this reverse for your sake. You got Israel here. You got Jordan here on the east. You got Israel here. You got Syria up in the north. And then to the west of Syria, you've got Turkey. And as you pass through Turkey, which is the area of Asia, as you pass through and you keep going west, you come to Europe to come to the area of Philippi. And so he gets this this vision, and it says, after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them there. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city and a part of a Macedonian colony. So he comes to this place of Philippi. Philippi will be a church that Paul sets up. Philippi will be the first church in Europe. It's a Roman colony. What does that mean? Rome proclaimed it a colony. That's big news. See, back, uh, Philip of Macedon, who was the father to Alexander the Great, When he came to that area of Philippi, it was rich for silver and gold mining, but it had really kind of dropped off, and so he brought it back to life and turned it into this very rich city producing gold and silver. When the Romans came along and conquered the Greeks, they came to that area of Philippi, the Philippians were very kind to them, and they honored them by making them a colony. Now a colony for Rome is very important because you immediately become a Roman citizen. So as a Roman citizen, you got all the rights of the Romans. And so they would send some of the retired officers there and generals there to kind of look over the city, make sure that it was running properly. They would be no they wouldn't pay tax. They'd have all the benefits of a Roman. And if you were born there, you were born a Roman citizen. So that's a big thing. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was Saul of Tarsus, right? He was a Roman citizen, born, free-born a Roman citizen, but he was also ethnic, ethnically and religiously a Jew. So he had, all, he had these rights, of, and you're going to see how that plays out because Paul's going to use his, his, his um, nation's rights for his benefit. And so they come to this this place called Philippi and they were there for some days. Verse 13 says, and on the Sabbath day they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and they sat down and they spoke to a woman who they met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened up her heart to heed the things of Paul and when she had heard When she and her household were baptized, she begged us staying. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. And so he comes with Paul's normal thing. He would come into a city. He would look for a synagogue. He needed a synagogue. He'd like to go preach the gospel to the Jew first, right? So he would come to a city. He would share Jesus through the Old Testament, lead Jewish people to Jesus. And then he would go out to the Gentiles. So he comes to this place, there's no synagogue. You had to have at least 10 Jews to have a synagogue. So there's no synagogue, so then he he catches word that they're meeting down by the river. If you didn't have a synagogue, if you wanted to gather as Jewish people, you would gather down by the river. Okay? So he goes down there, he finds a bunch of women. Lydia, seller of purple from Thyatira, rich, wealthy lady. They're down by the river. He shares the gospel. This is amazing, because she's a Gentile. She's a Gentile. She's a wealthy Gentile. She's a seller of purple. Purple was like royalty. It was the colors. I mean, the outfits back then would be equivalent to, they were like 100 bucks back then. I don't know what 100 bucks back then would be worth today. I mean, she made money. And she sold the, the purple. And so she's down here in this area, no doubt doing Selling and doing stuff, but she has gone from being a Gentile serving pagan gods to now receiving the, the God of Israel, the true and living God. She had become a Jew and now Paul leads her to Christ by the gospel and now she's gone all the way to Jesus Christ. She's now a born again Christian. She's excited. And so she's like, well, if you found favor with me and you can see that my life has been transformed, why don't you guys just stay with me and persuades the, the team to stay with them. So you've got Paul, Silas, you've got Timothy, and at this point, you got Luke joining them. Luke wrote the book of Acts. So they stay with them. And so, neat stuff. And so then it goes on to say that um, it had happened when one day down there in verse 16, it happened as we went to prayer, a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling, this girl called Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. So now you've got this, you've got this possessed woman, this young girl who these men own her. She's a slave. They're using her to make money because she's a fortune-teller. You know, I don't know if you ever had your palm read or had someone look into a crystal ball or tarot cards or the psychic hotline. God forbids that for a believer. That's demonic. That's dark. Stay away from horoscopes and mediums and crystal balls and tarot cards and all all that stuff. He says, stay away from that stuff. it only gets you in trouble. And these guys were using this girl to, to be a fortune teller. Now, demons can't... Predict the future, but they've seen your past. They've studied you for 6,000 years. And so there's this real force that goes on behind it. So this girl is walking behind these guys for days. And every time Paul's trying to go minister and give the gospel, she's behind. And I don't know what kind of voice she has because it talks about her voice is like a croaking toad. I mean, can you imagine? Teach me I service God. I mean, That would be kind of freaky. Who proclaimed the way of salvation? What she was saying was true. But why did it upset Paul? Because God doesn't need publicity from hell, sends a mixed message. You know, you know what it's like when you got somebody who's telling people they're Christians and trying to tell them about the gospel, but their life doesn't reflect Jesus at all. It sends a mixed message. Are you living for Jesus? So she's going around saying, the other thing that people don't realize about this is the Most High is also a reference to Apollos, which those people worshipped. The Most High God. So it was like, everybody's like thinking, okay, are they are they teaching a different God or are they just talking about Apollos, Paul and those guys, right? So Paul gets upset. And this went on for days. And so all of a sudden, one day, they're they're walking through town and all of a sudden, she's like, These are servants of the Most High God showing us the way unto salvation. Paul goes, guys, hold on a second. I can't handle this anymore. Turns back, looks her right in the eye, but he's not looking at her. He's talking to the demon, and he says, come out in the name of Jesus Christ. And the demon came out. The problem was, when her masters found out, verse 19, and saw that their hopes and dreams were gone. The prophet was gone away. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Wow. For what? Sharing the gospel? Now it says when they, they, they just freaked out and tore off their clothes, it's not like, they're not rabbis. They're not the rabbis tearing their clothes. They tore off Paul and Silas' clothes and beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks. So they not only put them in prison, they put them in the lowest level of the prison which is down in the the, the lowest level it where the sewage passes through he put they put them in stocks, so they're sitting in sewage if you got to go to the bathroom you go right there when you're closed and and this is where they were after being beaten and bloodied with rods now check this out verse 25 but at midnight paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god Let me stop right there does that describe you is that where you're at did Paul have his eye on the prize or what see he got a vision he saw a man from Macedonia calling him over saying help us but the first person he meets is a woman Maybe he's still looking for that man. Maybe he's thinking it's somewhere. Maybe it's maybe he saw this jailer and that was the man. Maybe that jailer had listened to him preaching the gospel when that, that evil spirit-possessed woman was following them. Maybe some of the people had seen these things and, and maybe there was more going on that we even know. And Paul and Silas took a beating. They're thrown in prison and as they're in prison around midnight, they say, you know, Paul looks at, at Silas and goes, hey, What's that song you always sing? That's a great, how great is our God. Let's do that one. How great is our God. Sing with me. I mean, you're, you're in jail. You're laying in poo. You're in stocks. You're chained up. It doesn't look good for you. And guess what it says? It says, and all the prisoners were listening. And then suddenly there was a great earthquake and so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. What? I call that an intelligent earthquake. Right? I mean, just the cell doors opened and the chains fell off? And so then this guardkeeper... The keeper of the prison, verse 27, awakened from his sleep and seeing that the prison doors were open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, do yourself no harm for we're all here. See, here's the thing. If the prisoners escaped, you would do their time or be put to death or be tortured and put to death. So this guy's like looks and he goes, the cell doors are open. Oh my gosh, this is not good for me. I'm going to kill myself because that would be better than what Rome's going to do to me. And Paul says hey don't do it we're all here everybody in the prison nobody dug out something's happening to every person in that prison right now then the, they called for a light and this this prison keeper came and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and he said this now this this guy is an Italian He's a Roman. He's a Roman citizen. He's an Italian. And he looks at Paul and he says, What must I do to be saved? Don't you love it? Here, had somebody come up to you and say that? I've had that come, I'm just like, that just made it so easy. When somebody just runs up, I, I want to get saved. How do I do that? Are you kidding me? I could prepare a sermon for weeks and say it. Nobody gets saved. He's got some guy who runs up to him and says, What must I do to be saved? So you know what Paul says? He says, well, tithe every week and come to church. No, he doesn't say that. Commit yourself to a life sentence, the children's ministry. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. This is a controversial verse right here. Wait, if I get saved, my whole house will be saved and covered? No, that's not what it's saying. What, what the word of God is saying right here, he says, believe on the name of Jesus Christ and your conversion, your transformation will lead your household to Jesus' feet. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were with his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, he washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized, and when they brought them into the house, they set food before them and rejoiced having believed in God with his whole household and when the next day the magistrate sent the officers saying let those men go so the gate so the keeper of the prison reported to these words to Paul saying the magistrate has sent to let you go now therefore depart and go in peace but Paul said to them they have beaten us openly uncondemned romans and have thrown us into prison and now they put us out secretly no indeed let them come themselves and get us out and the officers of these heard these words, were told these words by to the magistrates, they were afraid, and when they heard that they were Romans, they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison, they entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and they departed. This is great. This is Paul. Check it out. Gosh, I'm running out of time here. i got so much I want to say. They say, um, let these guys out. And so the prison keeper tells Paul, He says they they said you can go. And Paul says, no, they just beat Roman soldiers. I ain't going nowhere. Tell them to come get me. See, here's the thing. If you were caught beating a a Roman citizen without a trial, you could be put to death. These guys freaked out when they found out he was a Roman citizen. And so they go, oh, could you just tell them to go? And he's like, no, they want us to go out secretly. They can come get us here's the crazy thing paul was exercising his rights his roman rights as he's being beaten and whipped (laughs) not once did he say hey roman citizen they would have went oh so sorry please move along don't tell anybody he took it all why i think he was looking for that face in the vision I think he was realizing that, that this suffering was going to turn out to joy and all things were going to work together to good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. I, my conviction, my opinion, that face and that vision he got from Macedonia, the man from, I think it was the Philippian jailer. And he got saved. And so Paul didn't exercise his Roman rights while he was being beaten, he waited till after the beating. Why? I think he wanted to secure the church in Philippi. If they knew that they could all be put to death for what they did to him and Silas and thrown him in that prison, instead of him leaving, he goes, "No, you know what? I think I'm going to stick around for a few days. Make sure you guys don't mess with the church, because that's the kind of guy he was. Paul was gnarly. You study Second Corinthians chapter 11. You see all that he went through in his life? Would you sign up for that ministry? Seriously? I mean, look at, the, look at the difference between all these people in Acts 16. you got Timothy, uh, half Jew, half Greek, born again, goes with, with Paul and Silas to Philippi, where they meet this woman, Lydia, completely different, Gentile, changed the Jew, onto a Christian, born again, Lydia from Thyatira, rich, wealthy person, Around all these poor people. Then you've got this demon possessed girl. We'll just name her Nancy P- Possessed. Right? And then you've got this Philippian jailer. We'll call him Phil the Philippian jailer. Look at the diversity in these people. Look how different they are from each other. One's rich and wealthy. One's a possessed slave girl. One's a jailer. One's half Greek, half Jew. But what brought them all together? Jesus. Look at the people around you. What has brought us all together today, Jesus? I mean, we've got, we've got bankers in this church. We've got drug dealers. old ex-drug dealers. Let me just make that clear. Right? We've got firemen. We've got policemen. We've got teachers. We've got doctors. We've got nurses. We've got rich. We've got poor. We got people that don't like each other, so one of them will sit over here and the other one will sit over here. What brings us all together? Jesus. What gives us eternal life? Jesus. What gets us to worship God? Jesus. Why are we opening our Bible? Jesus. He's the answer. But you need to understand it it's going to be Jesus that brings us through to finish our course. He's going to finish the work, not you. And he says it's going to be tough. But he's going to give you the means to get through because he's able to keep that which he's committed to you unto this day. So I want you to be encouraged as we go through the book of Philippians. I want you to read it every day, 12 minutes. Don't tell me you don't got time. Grab your coffee in the morning, drink your coffee, you'll be done. Amen? Amen? Joy through suffering. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We ask that you would just uh, encourage us, Lord God, right now, fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit, Lord, as we step out into the mission field that you would give us the power and the ability and the divine appointments to share the love of God with those that are out there in the community. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.